everything outside the box is possible. You just got to find a way of doing it. By stepping out of that corporate world, that's when I started to develop those skill sets. So I never thought I would have the skills to sit down and create a film and and, um, a podcast series and all these other things, which are now fascinating me in my life. Welcome to Cross Pollination. We're a member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. In this last episode of the month, while actual travel is out for the moment and for a change of pace, we're audio traveling to Australia, where Mark Philpot is peacefully floating on his boat off the eastern coast with his trusty canine captain, Oscar. Mark hosts the very fun Global Travel Channel podcast, which he was gracious enough to host me on back in January to talk about travel adventures and misadventures. Mark is a cross-pollinator who's had a fantastic and interesting globetrotting career. He talks in this episode about the big transitions and transformations he's undergone in moving from the corporate world to social enterprise, films, philanthropy, professional tennis, and triathlons. He tells us what his different interests have taught him about building new projects, creatively transferring skills, and knowledge between different areas, and how to develop the skills you don't already have. Mark's had an unusual life. He's got big ideas, big perspectives, and big plans. He's also a minimalist who might encourage more of us to try living with not much more than the waves beneath our feet. Yeah, I have um, my first mate on the boat with me, who's, uh, his name is Oscar, and he's a two and a half year old cavoodle puppy dog. And between Oscar and I, we manage everything on the daily basis on the boat. So we, we share the responsibilities really. And Oscar's very good at laying around and telling me what to do. And I basically get all the jobs to do. So um I, I call him the first mate, but really he's the captain in disguise, I would say. But I've been on the boat now for just over two and a half years. And the reason I brought a sailboat to live on was um, I'm very much into the minimalistic living thing. I've been doing that pretty much all my life. Um, I don't have a lot of stuff per se. And I love the idea of being on water and being able to take my home essentially anywhere in the world for free because I have a set of sails. I have solar panels. I live off grid. And um, yeah, for me, it's just the perfect lifestyle. I haven't had a motor vehicle for the last 15 years. I consider my dinghy, which is tied up to my boat, to be my my car. I can even go to the supermarket in my dinghy and, and get groceries and provision my boat from that angle. So I don't, I don't need a car. I have a fold-up bicycle on board. So when I do pull into shore, I can get on the bicycle. I can put my puppy dog on the back and away we go. We can go sustainably around wherever we are, checking out the place and getting the things that we need. So um, there's no better there's no better life than being able to lay down in your bed at night, look out the hatch at the stars and the moon and uh, feel the elements against your skin. I just think it's the, the perfect way to live. And right now, it's called all the perfect elements of physical distancing. Mark's journey to his boat, though, was anything but a perfect straight line. In fact, it involved a lot of sailing down different paths and different kinds of lives. Well, as I mentioned earlier, I've um, had an extensive career in the corporate space, which took me around the world for many years. And I was living in Europe um, for a long period of time in Brussels and Belgium. And if you like waffles and French fries with mayonnaise, I strongly recommend you go to Brussels for a trip. <laughs> but but there are some other wonderful things to see and do in the country of Belgium. Um while I was living there, I had, as many of us do at that time of life, um, a moment where I was very reflective on what I was doing in my life. And I asked myself the very simple question, do I want to remain a corporate warrior for the rest of my life? And is that the legacy I'm going to leave um, as part of my journey on this world? Or am I going to do something else? And my heartstrings told me that I wanted to do something else because 
I haven't had a family of my own and I really love kids and I love to make a difference with kids. So I decided to look at ways in which I could create projects while I was in the corporate world, um, outside, if you like, in my spare time, um, create projects to give back and make a difference. So while I was living in Belgium, I came across um, a young man who had been paralyzed. He was in a wheelchair and he was a sporting superstar at the time when he got paralyzed. And after a long um, chat period, we decided to start a a not-for-profit organization together. And one thing led to another. Through that organization, I ended up meeting Christopher Reeve, Superman. And through that process, we started an association with the Christopher Reeve Foundation out of New Jersey in the United States. So what I found really interesting is when you put yourself out there, and I've had this opportunity many times in my life, um, all these wonderful things, doors open up for you and opportunities open up. So that was my first foray into the world of philanthropy and making a difference. And since that time, and we're talking about back in the early 2000s, um, I've maintained that as a very important part of who I am as a person and tried to make a difference wherever I can in all the different places I've lived around the world. Well, it's interesting because the more I did it, the more I felt connected to it, the more it changed me as a person Um, whilst in the corporate world. And I'm not saying I'm not generalizing that everybody is like this, but I was very materialistic, greedy, arrogant. Um, All I was focused on was making money, being successful, having the big house, the fast cars and the big holidays. Um, But it wasn't fulfilling, as we've heard many people say that it's true. It wasn't fulfilling for me. And as I got more and more engaged in doing philanthropy-based activities, I found that there was a change happening within myself, and I I liked that change. I saw the person that I was becoming. I became a lot less selfish. I became a lot less arrogant. And um, I started to be more interactive with people at a different level. So once you start on that road, I think it's something that becomes quite addictive and It really transitioned me out of the corporate world. I got to the stage and I'd moved that by that time to Singapore to live where I'd been for seven years. And basically in that seven years in Singapore, I'd started my own charity organization and started doing projects all over the world. And we're talking about post-tsunami activities in Indochina and that at this time. And I realized that I could actually move into the not-for-profit space on a full-time basis and I could cross-pollinate, and I think you'll like the use of that word. (laughs) I I could use a lot of my business skills that I had from all those years in the corporate world to bring over to my non-profit activities and bring something different into that space. So that's what I actually did, and I started a a whole new model of not-for-profit being a social enterprise while I was living in Singapore. So yes, I used the corporate world and my corporate company that I used to work for was very supportive of this. They gave me a lot of um, support in a lot of different areas to help me, um, I guess, not only transition, but also to do the activities that I was doing. Whilst I was changing my job within DHL on a frequent basis, I I wasn't feeling as though I was getting to know the world outside of DHL. And I had a really exciting job in DHL. I used to work in the aerospace industry segment of the company. So I was talking and working with people from Airbus and Boeing every day about next generation aircraft technology and their supply chains. And it's, it's an incredibly interesting world. But it wasn't giving me the things that I wanted to use in my next chapter. And um, by stepping out of that corporate world, that's when I started to develop those skill sets. So I never thought I would have the skills to sit down and create a film and and, um, a podcast series and all these other things which are now fascinating me in my life. 
Even before and during Mark's corporate career at DHL, the global logistics company, he was a keen athlete, and that too gave him another set of experiences to draw on in moving into new areas where he needed to acquire new skills and then be able to practice them efficiently. And um, the sporting thing you mentioned, I've been a sportsman all my life. In fact, when I left New Zealand as a young boy, the ambition was to become a professional tennis player. I did that by moving to Australia and spending a number of years playing professional tennis. And from that, I transitioned into all sorts of different sports. Obviously, I wasn't a professional sportsman when I was at uh, DHL and having that career, but I did take up triathlon at that time. And I was a very avid and committed and I would some would say addicted triathlete who traveled the world to (laughs) a number of different races um, and became very addicted in that space, which gave me a lot of um, abilities in different areas. I've you know, I've I've always been somebody that's focused very much on general well-being and being very healthy and very fit and looking after what I eat and maintaining a good rhythm because I feel as though I can't do all these other things in my life if everything's not in balance. So I use that as a way of balancing up myself. Well, triathlon in particular, um, I used to do the long distance version. So we're talking about, um, you know, a 3.8 mile um, swim and then a 112 mile bike ride finished by a marathon. So we're talking about the, the Ironman distance. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's a grueling race and, and also one of the things that when you become addictive about the stuff after you've done your first one, of course, you want to do the second one faster. So it's all about, um, I found it, a lot about ego. So if you take the guy out of the corporate world who's already got a big ego and he wants to be competitive in the Ironman space, then he's going to go out there and do whatever he can to be to be competitive. So, But there were some very big learnings from that and, and some of the things that I learned about was um, discipline around training. So I really became very disciplined about managing my time more effectively because I was still holding down a, a very extensive uh, corporate job where I was traveling the world, so I had to be very methodical in my training processes. Um, sleep was another important thing. I, I was working off jet lag most of the time because I was traveling around the world, so I had to I had to become very efficient at sleeping, whether it be on an aircraft, whether it be in a foreign hotel bedroom, or or back at my house, which was a very you know unfamiliar surroundings most of the time because I was on the road all the time. So, um, yeah, I would say discipline around those things were very important. Um, how to find shortcuts in doing things without it jeopardizing the overall result you wanted to get. So I think a lot of people waste a lot of time on things. And there are th- there are ways to actually train more effectively than doing enormous amounts of distance all the time. So I spent a lot of time talking to other Ironman triathletes around the world who, who were world class and who had the most or the latest training techniques. I think that's one of the greatest lessons I've learned in my life is to is to reach out to others and find out all the things that they've tried and what haven't worked. And um, I think it can save you a lot of time. So whether it be making a film, whether it be starting a not-for-profit organization, a podcast um, show, uh, training for an Ironman race, um, there's people out there that have done it and they've done it probably a lot better than what you're ever going to do it. So if you can tap into those people and get mentors and buddies on board, you can save yourself a lot of time and probably come up with a great result. Life secrets number one, finding out the useful things other people are doing and how they're doing it and adapt that to what works for you. Beyond his corporate and sports careers and a shift into social enterprise, Mark's tried his hand at other things too. Yeah, I guess in terms of the way of talking about this in relation to cross-pollination is um, in all these things that I've done in my life, I've tried to use um, travel and creativity in terms of skills to get my message out there. So 
when I had my not-for-profit organisation while I was based in Singapore, one of the things that I wanted to do was to publicise the not-for-profit activities in a creative way. And it was very funny, actually, because I was sitting in my in my corporate office still. I hadn't left DHL at that time. And a young Singaporean man had walked past my office with a movie camera on his shoulder, and I, I went out and almost tackled him in the hallway. And I asked him what he was doing. And he said, oh, I'm making a TV advertisement for DHL. I said, oh, fantastic. Have you got five minutes to talk? So he came into my office. And I said, listen, I, I want a creative way of telling my not-for-profit story that I'm about to embark on. I'm going to do a motorbike adventure ride from Singapore to Cambodia. And I want to make a film, a, a short film documentary about that whole process. Anyway, long story short, this guy came on board as my film director to make this short film documentary in association with myself. And uh, we essentially made an award-winning short film documentary off a $500 budget. And we showed once again that you need very little to create something that's going to connect with people. And I've always been one that, um, you know, I've never had an enormous amount in my life. And I've always been one to go out there and seek solutions that are both creative and, and also hit the mark as far as what you're trying to deliver on. And that was, an, that was a great example of that. So three of us got on our motorbikes. We rode from Singapore to Cambodia. We had a number of volunteers come along who gave up their time to support the project. And we ended up making this extraordinary 51-minute documentary that got sent to film festivals around the world and won some awards. So um, that was a great way of telling the story. The not-for-profit story was in making a short film documentary about it. Talking about big, socially relevant topics, I'd like to tell you about What on Earth Can We Do?, a podcast produced by the Alberta Emerald Foundation. It's an annual series where hosts Colleen and Gregory chat with environmental leaders about hot topics like food waste, reuse, recycling, and more. As this episode highlights with global-scale topics, while tackling ecological challenges as individuals can seem daunting, we can learn together how to answer the question, what on earth can we do? To listen and find out more, visit emeraldfoundation.ca slash podcast. Making a film to highlight the work of a social enterprise, Mark is clearly someone who reaches for big things and his big plans, so it's probably not a surprise that prior to the COVID pandemic closing down global travel, at least for some time, he was working on a concept that involved sailing travel, a project aimed at youth, on a route called the Great Loop. Yeah, and for people out there who don't know what the Great Loop is, it's um, it's a pretty well-kept secret, actually. It seems to be something that is pretty well known in the United States and, and perhaps Northern America, but not so much the rest of the world. The Great Loop is an Ameri a maritime adventure. I guess that's the best way of describing it. And back in the 1940s, after the World War, the United States Army built a uh, intracoastal waterway that basically runs from Florida in the south up to the Hudson River in New York City. And it's now possible to go by boat the entire way inland without having to go out into the ocean except for a, a very small part of that trip. And then go up the Hudson River into the Erie Canal system, which takes you into the Great Lakes, and then down the Mississippi River back into the Gulf of Mexico. And that's actually called the Great Loop. So it's a huge... 6,000 mile boating adventure and I've been looking for my next boating adventure but I also wanted to combine something that I'm very passionate about and philanthropy has been a big part of my life over the last 15 years. I've done a lot of um, projects around the world and in particularly involving young people and I saw an opportunity to combine a bucket list item that I have in my life 
with doing something to make a difference. So I'm at the moment, and I've been planning this now for two years, there's been a lot of planning involved in this, and the Great Loop Adventure is going to be an opportunity where we have a boat, or two actually, there's now talk of getting another boat, um, and we travel around the Great Loop over the course of two years. So it's going to be a very extended time frame as far as the project goes, and there's a reason behind that that I'll explain. But basically we're going to go for two years around the Great Loop We're going to take young adults between the ages of 18 and 21 who might be struggling a little bit in life for whatever reasons today. And these young adults, um, the applicants will come from anywhere in the world. So they don't have to be only North American based. Obviously, there'll be a large percentage from North America. But if someone's listening to this and they're in that age group and they're somewhere else in the world and they would like to know more about this incredible adventure, then get in contact because we're going to be able to do a few really exciting things on board the boat as we go and we're going to partner with organizations and we're going to partner with mentors who are going to come on the boat for the entire journey and they're going to buddy up with the young people and teach them life skills and also proper practical skills that they can use in their life. So an example of that is we're going to invite podcasters to come on the boat and we're going to teach these young people how to start their own podcast show. We're going to have filming people. We're actually going to make a TV series about this great loop adventure. And the young people will be involved in every aspect of making that TV series. So from picking up a camera and learning how to use it, to doing audio properly, to doing editing, um, lighting, everything that's involved in actually making a TV series. So it's going to be a really amazing adventure, and I can't wait to get it going, actually. Mark hopefully will be able to get his plan back on track when conditions allow. And based on his track record, he'll likely come up with a new way to approach the same goals, even if it doesn't. Virtual reality boat tours, anyone? In the meantime, he's still hard at work on his podcast. Yeah, look, I I fell into podcasting and it was quite an interesting journey for me because I have um, essentially had a background in the corporate world and after I left the corporate world, I started my own not-for-profit organization. And of recent times, um, I I came back to Australia because um, my family members were very ill. And while I was here doing that, I really had nothing else to do. So I decided to look at all the different things that I'm very passionate about. And obviously, what I've just explained to you, travel has been an instrumental part of my life journey. And it's brought me so much in my life as well in terms of the people that I've met, the opportunities that I've had around the world, um, the things that I've seen, the, the the mentors and the role models that I've met. And that's been an enormous part of my life journey as well. And I just thought it would be really cool to start a podcast to talk to other people about their travel experiences because I think when we travel as human beings, we change. We, and, and typically we change for the better because we become more understanding, respectful of different people and their cultures and their places in which they live. And it gives us a better grounding and understanding of the world as a whole. So that's why I decided to start a podcast. And my real ambition with my travel podcast is to get people off their couches to book a ticket and go somewhere. That's really it. And it doesn't mean you need to go to the other side of the world. You can go a couple hundred miles away from your home and have a trip and have an experience which is going to change your life potentially. So Yeah, I did that. Um, I've only been podcasting for about seven months now, and I absolutely love it. I've had extraordinary people on my show. You know, all these things uh, are amazing. So I absolutely love it. And um, it's going to lead into some pretty exciting things in the future as well. For someone who's had a higher than average number of experiences, big reinventions and new focuses in life, what have they all taught, Mark? (sighs) 
Well, I was fortunate enough to work for the world's um, most global company. And when you're working in an organization that large, you have to think big on a daily basis. So I think one of the things that that experience in my life, that career journey gave me was the ability to think at a global level. So when I transitioned into doing my own things, I wasn't a small time thinker. I thought big hairy ideas. In fact, I thought massive hairy ideas. And I thought, okay, anything that I'm going to do, I'm going to do on a global basis. Because one, I had seen the potential of what a global audience can do in terms of making a difference. And we tend to, if we're not in a global role, we tend to look at our own backyard as being the the end all and be all of life, because that's what we operate in every day. But I think for anybody that's had global experience, will will attest to you that, you know, there's a big wide world out there and there's a big wide world of opportunity. So I think the biggest um, attribute that I brought to my new life was that ability to think on a global level. And when I walked into doing the things that I then created, everything was based on, okay, how can I take this product or service or activity to a global audience? One of the things I wanted to share today on your show was that I think people are more skilled than what they actually believe they are. Most people are. And I think people have got far more talents than what they actually give themselves credit for. And it's not until you're probably in a situation, you know, I used to live in this corporate umbrella where, you know, everything was laid on for me. Uh, I had someone booking my airline tickets and hotel rooms for businesses. I, I didn't really even have to think for myself in a lot of those times. And all I was responsible for was, you know, hitting my KPIs and bringing in the business for the company, etc. So when you move away and transition away from that and you become responsible for everything, <laughs> um, you've got to take on a whole new different skill set. And I guess that's when you get tested. And for me, that's what I love about the challenge of transition within life. And this is where I think cross-pollination is a really important thing because, it gives you the ability to not only learn skills yourself, but also to uh, adapt to collaborating in a different way with other people and finding solutions to things that you maybe not have had, um, you know, easy solutions before. So you become, I think, more creative in yourself. You definitely become more disciplined because you have to step up to the plate because your livelihood depends on it. So I saw myself getting really adrenaline buzzed from all this, all these new different dynamics that were coming into my life that I was perhaps a little bit lazy in the corporate world because I had all those other things laid on for me. I had a business card that entitled me, I guess, to doors being opened in certain areas, um, whether it be at government level or, or customer organization level. And when you step away from that and behind, I call it the Iron Curtain, um, you actually have to find ways to do that yourself. And I, I love the challenge of that. I think it's a fascinating thing to do because there's so many different ways that you can do. And I think cross-pollination actually, in a large degree, explains that you know everything outside the box is possible. You just got to find a way of doing it. There you have it. Resourcefulness, thinking big, learning all the time, and not holding back from change. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd like to recommend another show on this network with reflections on change and the modern world. In the modern world, for men, modern society has created a reawakening of the question, what does it mean to be a man? It is not as clear-cut as it once was, and the answers are as varied, infinite, and complex as can be. This is where the podcast, Modern Manhood, comes in. Join me, Herman Villegas, as we explore how the different views of masculinity shape our daily life. For example, how the way we date, parent, school, and play 
are affected by the many shapes modern masculinity has its handle on us. This is the lives of men, as flawed, authentic, and complex as can be. This is Modern Manhood, a proud podcast of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATV. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to check out Mark's show, you can find it at globaltravelchannel.com, on YouTube, or on Podcatchers. If you'd like to comment on this episode, you can reach this show at crosspollination.co or at pollinata1 on Twitter. And a big thanks if you've reviewed us on Apple Podcast or shared us with friends. We'll have more for you soon. See you next time. 